Hey, folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, it is good to have you back after uh, what? how long were you gone? Six weeks, eight weeks, something like that? It was it was a couple of months. Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, like a like a whole lunar cycle or something. It was it was a long time. Well, sure. thank you for thank you for carrying the the show, the weight, everything, man. You guys did you and Andrew and you, you and Jeff Rieger. You guys did a great well, job. You know, we we tried. We uh, we can't fill your shoes, but you came back at the right time, right? Because uh, we have a guest today. I think you know him. Maybe your cross pass cross. Excuse me, back in california I, I don't know maybe he doesn't know that you know him but i think hopefully you'll tell him that you once met i don't know who knows you know how that goes in any case uh carlos let's welcome in jason reed who's a senior nfl writer for espn and anscape and who has a book uh that it's about to come out right the rise of the black quarterback what it means for america and we're here to, we're going to talk to jason about the book and then maybe eventually the lions uh you know I'm, that's no fun for him but uh in any case carlos Let's welcome in uh, Jason Reed. Hey guys, how you doing? Not too bad. Thanks. Thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Is it true? Did you and Carlos cross paths somewhere at some uh, point? I, I think I'm going to be told yes. Is that correct? <laughs> or was he stuck? Was he stuck? Well, well, this is that. Is that? <laughs> this is this is this is a lifetime ago for you know before. I mean, if you're a sports fan, hopefully you are. If you're listening to this, you know, meager little podcast, but uh jason reed big star right in the nfl i mean everybody knows him i mean he's been everywhere i don't know about all that but okay oh yeah from okay. shore to shore la times washington post i mean he's he's one of the the paragons of our uh, of the nfl uh writing landscape but a long time ago and jason doesn't remember this because i was only a lowly lowly copy editor at the long beach press telegram at the time the, this is around uh the early 90s mid 90s Jason, before he was an NFL writing star, he was he was an amazing soccer player with Scribes Football Club. This oh my a, god. A club that was put together out of the World Cup 94 from a bunch of sports writers led by the LA Times, Mike Penner, Emilio Garcia Ruiz. Um, and so I lived in Long Beach, Mike lived in Long Beach, a lot of us lived in Long Beach, Hill Beach Editor. So, but Jason Reed, Sean, you probably don't know this unless you looked up his, his uh, bio on ESPN. But back then, Mr. Reed was covering Seth Greenberg and the Long Beach State That's 49ers right. for the Orange County LA Times. Right. And uh, he, was a, he was a svelte, uh, yeah. <laughs> a dashing striker for Scribes FC for a few seasons. Oh you still have that kind of flash and speed, right, Jason? Did, did we did we play on FC Scribes together? And, and I don't remember this. We did, and and uh, you know, to be truthful, I think you only came out a few times. And then when yeah. when Panner basically wouldn't like you know make you an all star yeah. guarantee you playing time, then you're like, forget this. I got better things. To oh do. man, I'm I, apologies, man. I'm not my kid, my kids tell me all the time that I have a horrible memory, and my memory isn't what it used to be. Apologies, my man, but I'm I'm glad that you reminded me of that. Thank you. And the thing, the thing, well, can the I think one thing I have to say, one one little addendum is you know, this is a West Coast thing, whatever, but. Uh, the only thing better than Jason Reed, one of the really good guys in our business, is the stories about Jason Reed oh from God. everywhere else, oh going up, picking fights with people, getting yeah. getting in scrums, getting you know, like yeah. just, I always, when I was young, I was like, I want to be like Jason. Oh no, 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 no. in locker rooms and <laughs> listen, man, I try. You know what? In my in my older age, I'll be very honest with you. Like I look back on that stuff, and like I have a 15 year old and a 13 year old, 
And like, I, I am just like, all I do now is go to travel baseball and travel soccer. And uh, that's all my folks. I try to avoid getting into altercations with anybody, but, but thank you for, for reminding <laughs> me about my youth. And again, I, I, I'm sorry to remember it, that we were together on FC Scribes in the limited time that I was on it, but thank you for reminding me about that as well. Car- Carlos, I just, but I'd like you to ask the, the, the first question if, if you may about the book, but before I do, I just want to, I want to comment to the or say to the listeners out there that uh, Mr. Reed is classing this podcast up. Have we had a guest yet who's showed up in oh, a blazer? Man, so, no. Or, 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 yeah. or even a collar. First, I mean, first look, and look last. Okay. Yeah, look at us. I mean, we, we don't even have collars. This may be the first collared shirt we're, we're seeing I, here. Let I, alone listen, the guys, I, I'm only doing this because, like, I, um, you know, ESPN has this rule, like, we got to – we have to have on a you know a, a blazer and a at least a blazer and a collar whenever we whenever we do interviews and so it's weird I'm being interviewed now so I just figured I'd I'd keep it consistent across the board. Okay, well that well that well thank you for that. It de- it definitely uh, ups the ups the yeah. style quotient. Wait wait, wait 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 can All I right, can Carl. I interrupt for just a second, Jason? There is no video component of this. Yes. This is just so we can see each other. Yes. So if you want to take that thing off yeah. and get into like a tank top <laughs> or just go top, you know, shirtless, we can yeah. do that. Yeah, you know what? I'll just I, I have actually after this, I have a, a TV interview upcoming. So I, I'm probably just gonna keep it on just 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 to stay in character. Okay. <laughs> All right, Carlos, we'll we'll take it away. Well, you know, you know, one one quick one quick little aside we have to remember is, is Jason's in LA and he graduated from USC. Sean, you'll be glad to know that that big 10 historic traditional powerhouse of USC that you have just welcomed into the Midwest uh, brotherhood and fraternity. So, uh, so another, another fine uh, mention of, of his past here, but um, yeah. So Jason, the book, um, this is a this is a very important book. I mean, it's got a lot of cultural significance. I mean, it it takes guts to write this book. I don't know. I don't know what is your feeling of the reception. I mean, the the title of the book is it says it all, and you have so much history about the black quarterback, black NFL players, the struggles they've gone through, the risks they've taken, the prices they've paid, all these things. What's been the general reception? Are you getting from fans, from from readers? You know, are they getting? Are you getting some hate? A lot of love. What are you getting? Well, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I mean, the book the book is available for pre sale right now. Where wherever books are sold, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, but it doesn't officially drop until August second. Um, on Twitter, though, I, I have had some people, you know, make some um, not kind comments, but I would say overall. You know the the reception the, the that I've received has been uh, really good. Um, people, you know, in, in reaching out to me on Twitter and um, on other forms of social media have said they're looking forward to the book. You know, look, you know, you're never going to please everybody, okay? But and and you can't set out to do that. I mean, what I set out to do was tell a story, um, tell a story about arguably the most marginalized group in the history of professional sports in this country, black men who play quarterback in the black men who aspired to play quarterback in the NFL and how in the hundred plus year history of the most powerful league in the history of professional sports, how these men went from being among the most marginalized to being among the most successful and highly paid um, and, and adored. And I, I thought it was a story that, was worth telling, obviously, because I took two years to tell it. And, uh, you know, 87, 88,000 words later, I I hope that everyone who reads the book will come to it with an open mind. And if they read it, 
leave the book having learned something and maybe having a greater appreciation or some form of appreciation for how this story unfolded. Jason, um, I want to ask you a question about the inspiration. And I I know you did a series of stories for ESPN, I think, right. That's sort of about, about black quarterbacks that sort of led to this. But before I do walk, how are you getting negative feedback on Twitter already when the book's not officially out? Is it just based on Twitter? That's why it's the title. Is it just the title? Yeah. Just, just the title of the book, just the title that, that riled up angry white people. What, what happened? What, I mean, well, I, I can't, I can't speak uh, with any degree of certainty to their race because the people who have come at me, you know, in their avatars, they don't have their pictures. They have other things there. Yeah, that says that. Yeah, says so, a- yeah, but I mean, and, you know, look, I, I expected that. I mean, whenever you whenever you talk about race, there are always going to be some people that why do you have to talk about race? Um, you know, you would you would alluded to uh, or you reference the the series of articles I did back in 2019. Um, I had this idea going into that season that there were more superstar African-American quarterbacks in the NFL than at any point previously. There had been black quarterbacks in the NFL and there had been some super, some star black quarterbacks, but 2019 going to that season, I just felt it was going to be different because, you know, Mahomes had just won the MVP the previous year. You had Dak Prescott in Dallas. You had Lamar Jackson who hadn't yet had his breakout season, but I thought, you know what, with, with what he's shown, if he progresses, he could have a really good year. Kyler Murray was the number one overall draft pick coming into that season. And so I just thought to myself that there seems to be an environment here where something's different, that, that, that you know, yeah, there have been black quarterbacks, but I thought, well, if I'm right about this, then this will be something unprecedented in the history of the NFL. And, you know, every dog has his day. I was actually right about this. Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl MVP and the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson joined Tom Brady as the only quarterbacks in the history of the AP NFL MVP award to be unanimous winners. Kyler Murray was the AP Offensive Rookie of the Year. Dak Prescott had a great year. Deshaun Watson had a great year. So it was something that the NFL in its hundred seasons had never seen before. And that was a springboard to add to the reporting and do the book. Yeah, that that's, you know, the, the, the thing with the, with the book, and we, we got a little bit of an advanced copy. So we've been, we, I've been hunting and pecking through it. So sorry to, I don't, I don't know if we want to let, give any spoilers or anything. Um, no, no, give, no, no, give the spoilers <laughs> away. That That's fine. It, and look, it's coming out soon anyway. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it starts, it's really interesting to start in and for, for people of uh, of our proximate age, Jason, I mean, you and I are like I don't know, 30s, 40s. Sean's in his 60s or 70s, so so it's a little bit of a different age gap here. But but we remember Doug Williams, right? And it starts off with Doug Williams, uh, who everybody I, I think he's always been viewed as kind of the the first uh, the father of the modern black quarterback, right? Even though there were people before him like Shaq Harris and and so forth. But um, you know, I I want to read a little bit about what Doug Williams said. And I think, I think this kind of is a thread that kind of from what I've read so far in the book that kind of goes through the book and, and permeates the story. He says, it's all about finally getting the opportunities for a long, long time in the NFL. We black quarterbacks didn't get the opportunities to show what we could do. We didn't get the opportunities to show who we could be, but once we started getting them, you saw what we could do. So the 2019 season was really just a matter of time. You saw what developed. It took too long but the time finally came. And is that really what 
what we're seeing now because of Doug Williams, you know, because of Warren Moon and, and these kind of guys and the Randall Cunninghams that that has sort of paved the way, the Michael Vicks even of now we can we can accept, you know, the Lamar Jacksons and the Patrick Mahomes and and the Russell Wilson's even before that, you know, that now it's not a it's not a are they smart enough to play quarterback? Do they have the capacity, the leadership, whatever it is? Is that even a question anymore? Or is that is there still some bias among teams and evaluators of is this guy the right guy to to play quarterback for us and be the leader? Well, what I say is that from talking to NFL player personnel, people and coaches for the book, gone are the days that in the draft room, somebody will say, we're not going to take this guy because he's black and he plays quarterback. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. Um, it is no longer an oddity to see African-American quarterbacks taken in the first round or even at the top of the NFL draft. Now, are, are there some, you know, uh, unspoken, is there, is there some unspoken bias uh, still in the minds of some individuals? I mean, I, I can't say that that doesn't exist, but in terms of the league and that position, people in the decision-making roles can no longer afford to exclude someone at the quarterback position because he's black. You, that, that, that just, you can't do it because there's so much pressure to win in the NFL. The money is so great and owners are, are impatient. I mean, they, 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 they want to win. And when you're, if you rise to the level of a general manager, a head coach, you will enjoy a, a quality of life that's like unparalleled in most of the country because of the money that's involved. And those people want to keep those jobs. So if, if there's a guy out there who plays quarterback, who you're scouting and he can make all the throws and he makes the right reads and he, and he, and he, and he projects to be, you know, potentially a superstar, you can't ignore him, but clearly there's still racism in the NFL. I mean, there's still racism in America, but we're at a point now, like Doug Williams said, the opportunities came. And once the opportunities finally came because of the pressure to win, what African-American quarterbacks showed is that they can excel in this game. You know, one, I'm sorry, Sean, if I can just follow up on that point, just for a second is even though there may not be quite that, you know, overt racism of he's just black. Well, I don't know, but attached to that is what about the, you know, um, social uh, consciousness or the, the social um, contract, I guess that the NFL, or black quarterbacks sometimes bring with them. And I'm talking specifically about someone like Colin Kaepernick, you know, do you sense that there's a concern sometimes of, is this going to be the kind of person who's going to cause some divisiveness, I guess, like Colin Kaepernick, you know, and cause some disruption with their fans and, and whatever be, you know, be a disruptive figure, you know, like not, not approaching the social justice issue quite the way we'd like it, maybe being disruptive. I mean, is there any, do you sense that there may be some concern with that going forward of drafting or having black quarterbacks that are they going to be like Kaepernick or are you going to do it more of a low key style, like uh, Patrick Mahomes, you know, is there, is there concern about that? Do you think? Well, the Kaepernick situation was such an outlier. I, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that's a, a prevalent concern um you know we haven't seen any other quarterback uh, black white green whatever take that type of a stance now the, you know you brought up Mahomes the thing about Mahomes is Mahomes showed what would happen if Kaepernick had been at the Tom Brady level because Patrick Mahomes in a video and you know I have this in the book 
back in 2000 and uh, the two, what, 2020, um, when players came out, at black players after George Floyd was killed in Minneapolis by police officers, Patrick Mahomes joined in a video and he said, look, black lives matter. That's something the league was very nervous about. No one in the league wanted to say Black Lives Matter because of the controversy around that affirmation. He, Patrick Mahomes and his players said, we want the league to partner with us and, and our communities and, and put in work with us. And, you know, when the players dropped that video, there was, I mean, from talking, to, you know, in researching the book and talking to, to people within the league at high levels in the league, like Roger Goodell was at a fork in the road. You know, Patrick Mahomes had just won the MV, the, the regular season MVP the year before. He won the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP. He was coming off of that. It was clear he was the guy. I mean, during those two years, he was the guy. Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback. You know, don't get me wrong, a lot of great quarterbacks. But for that two-year window, Mahomes was the guy. Now, quarterbacks are essentially – franchise quarterbacks are essentially – the business partners of the owners. Okay. They're the face of the game. They get the biggest contracts. They have the biggest off field, uh, you know, endorsements, everything in the organization from marketing is built around them. So Goodell was in a position to, he could do one of two things. He could have either totally bought into what the players were saying because Mahomes and Deshaun Watson also was in that video. And Deshaun Watson at the time was, you know, Clearly, Deshaun Watson is off the, off the field things. But at that time, Deshaun Watson was a major prominent figure as well. And if Goodell had, had dug his heels in and said, well, you know what? We're going to keep doing what we're doing. We're not going to say Black Lives Matter. We're not going to do these things that the players are talking about. The league would have been clearly on the opposite side of the number one player in the game. It was an untenable position for Goodell. Okay, so what, what did Goodell do? Goodell in his own video response, basically went down to players to do list and said, yes, for the first time, someone in that office said black lives matter publicly, the commission of the league, the, the league put more money into social justice. Basically Goodell in his video response to the players video did everything that Mahomes and the play other players wanted him to do. So the Kaepernick situation really is an outlier. I don't know if we'll ever see something like that again. But what Mahomes did, I would argue, in his own way, was extremely powerful. And he and Mahomes, not just Mahomes, but he had he had an outsized role in the thing, moved the NFL to a position that I never thought they would go to. So I don't think that there's worry about you know our future quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, if we draft them, going to do what Kaepernick did. But what we've seen is, is that the enormous power that star African-American quarterbacks now have in this game to move the needle. So it comes down to business uh, to, to a degree, right? Because the NFL the, and the NFL knew they were going to lose some viewers. I don't know how many they lost. They may, and Trump didn't help, right, when he was kind of jumping on and, and dividing it that way. But I, I wanted to ask you before we, we uh, wrap this particular segment up, and we can come back after the break and talk more about the book and this issue. I think we should before we get to the lines, but uh, Carl's mentioned Doug Williams. Obviously, you've written about Doug Williams and Warren Moon. And, and I, I look back, Jason, I'm curious what you think, but both of those passers, and I know Doug Williams won a Super Bowl, both those quarterbacks, rather, were um, thought of at the time, and I know it was very different, but they were still sort of thought of at the time as sort of pocket guys who who could uh, make every throw, right? They, they, they were thought of like white quarterbacks. 
which at, at, at that time relative to that era, which of course is ridiculous to say, but that's how a lot of the league thought, right? Can they come in and play white? And, and I wonder if you think that that delayed um, the idea of somebody, you know, Michael, even Michael Vick faced some of that, right? But did that delay because they didn't have Randall Cunningham's athleticism or, 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 you know, or Vick is another good example, or, or even, uh, even Russell Wilson, neither one of them moved like that. Warren moved maybe when he, before his knees went bad, but, but because the first successful, a couple of the first successful black quarterbacks were, were seen as a certain kind of quarterback, do you think that delayed the idea that somebody like Lamar Jackson could come in or Patrick Mahomes, who's obviously, you know, pretty athletic himself? Um, I want to make sure I understand the question. So, that if, if Doug Williams and Warren Moon had been more like Lamar Jackson, would Lamar Jackson have happened earlier? Yeah, would we have gotten to this point? We, we, would you think we would have gotten to 2019 more quickly? Or well, 18? Know, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's tough for me to answer because, like you said, both Doug and, and Warren were classic drop-back pocket passers. They, they, were guy, they were drop-back guys, okay? They weren't scramblers. They weren't – I mean, Warren could move – but, but the whole thing was their, their game was playing in the pocket. So had they been, you know, Michael Vick types, uh, had they been Randall Cunningham types, would that have moved the ball quicker? I, 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 you know, I would venture a guess no, because the NFL didn't want that at that time. Like if, if, if they had done that back then when they were coming out in 78, I, I think it I mean, Warren didn't get drafted as a classic drop back passer and a guy who was the co-player of the year in what was then the pack eight didn't get drafted. Doug was drafted in the first round, but I don't think, you know, having, I don't think if they had been quarterbacks like Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson, we would have gotten to the 2019, the, the historic 2019 season any faster because the NFL just didn't want that back then. Like, I don't think it accelerates the timetable because if Doug had done that, he might not have been drafted at all. If, you know, and like, like I said, Warren was a classic dropback passer and he didn't get drafted. So, I mean, I, I can't say with any certainty because obviously, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, but I don't think it would have moved the ball. Yeah. If they'd, if, if they'd been athletic, they just would have been converted into receivers. That's all. They just wouldn't have been quarterbacks. No, pro no, probably. But if they'd been drop back passers and had athleticism, which is where we're at today. Right. You just, it's sometimes it's just random. Somebody comes along that's new and they can do what traditionalists want or racists want and also then uh, open somebody's eyes. And it's just history works like that. And, may, and maybe that look, I'm, I, I can't say for certain, maybe that would have happened. Um, it, it, it's obviously hard to tell, you know, because we, we just don't know. But I mean, what those guys did, it still didn't move the needle for a very long time. True. Yeah. No, it's it's true. That's true. Uh, Jason, uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back. And I'd like to continue talking about this subject in the book and uh, eventually the Lions. Um, sorry to force you to do that, but uh, we will be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. My name is Kerry Jr. The second. I'm a podcast producer and reporter with the Detroit Free Press and now the host of Freep's new weekly podcast, On the Line. Our job is to understand the issues and the people that the issues affect in our state and region and tell the news. I want Detroiters, I want Michiganders, I want Metro Detroiters to hear themselves and maybe get a sense of peace in this podcast. Maybe not in the topics we're covering, 
but in the sense that we're the Detroit Free Press. And you can come here to know what's happening and trust that we're going to tell the truth, give you the facts, and do it authentically. We're going to give you the voices that are in those areas, whether it be in Owasso, whether it be in Petoskey, whether it be in Birmingham, Warren, Gross Point, Southwest Detroit. You know, we're going to give you what it sounds like to be there. So every Friday in your feed, wherever you get your podcast, when you press play, we want this podcast to sound like home. We want it to sound like Michigan. We want it to sound like Detroit. And I think that's all I got. So let the journey begin. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, we are talking with Jason Reed, who's a senior NFL writer for ESPN and Anscape, and who's written a book, the the rise of the back, excuse me, black quarterback and what it means for America. Um, I hope I didn't butcher that there, Jason. Sorry about that. But okay. I think I think they can figure it out. Yeah. Um, and and I, we were just talking about Doug Williams and, and Warren Moon a, a second ago and the way they played. I'm curious. Who do you think the pivot was? Not, not maybe not a, a, one season or just a, you want to say two or three seasons or whatever. Who do you think the couple of players that were the pivot and then the the time that led us to where we are now? Yeah, I, I think 1999. I, I, rather than picking a player, I think I'll pick a, a draft. Um, the 1999 draft was the first in which three African American quarterbacks were taken in the first round. Donovan McNabb, Achilles Smith, and Dante Culpepper. And, you know, a couple of years later, Michael Vick would be the first African-American quarterback taking number one overall. But I really look at 1999 as kind of an acknowledgement in the league that, okay, you know, Warren Moon has been playing really well since he came to Canada for a good stretch. You had Randall Cunningham, who was a second-round draft pick, who had emerged as a major talent in Philadelphia. And it was kind of a recognition by the league in, by the, in the 1999 draft that, you know, we've been sleeping on these guys. I mean, maybe sleeping is right where we've been ignoring these guys because of their race largely, even after what Doug Williams did in that Super Bowl, even after what Warren Moon was doing after coming from Canada, even after we saw from Randall Cunningham. So the 1999 draft, you know, I, I look at things, you know, pre-1999 draft and post-1999 draft. That draft was an acknowledgement in, in clubs throughout the league that, okay, We've got to now look at these guys. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's jump forward from 99 to, to now. And um, something again, spoiler alert, uh, sorry, but I'm going to, going to drop some stuff from the book. Um, you have a, a whole chapter on Patrick Mahomes. And to me, he sounds you're, you're, it's no secret that he's a great, great quarterback, obviously, but he almost seems like you're setting him up. You're, you're, you're establishing him as potentially a, uh, transcendent figure in the sport world in the, in, in, in the NFL specifically, but possibly even in sports, but, but you end the, you end the, the chapter on Mahomes by saying he's the best black quarterback in the history of the NFL. And by the time he's done, the qualifier may lo- may no longer be needed. You're basically saying he may be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL by the time he's done, which certainly sounds, it looks like he's on that, on that arc. Right. Um, but the interesting thing also about the, the the chapter about Mahomes is he's talking about social justice. You know, you have a por- point there where he, he he's uh, I think he's on a video and he's saying, I am Tamir Rice, the, the, the kid who was killed in, in Cleveland in 2014. And, you know, he has a black dad and a white mom. He's biracial. But he talks a lot about listening to people and wanting to bring people together. 
and, and coming to an understanding among all people from different communities. Um, he, how, I mean, this is where I think the transcendence may, may be there for him is he can maybe do something, you know, specifically in the NFL, but possibly through all sports of having the, the social conscience that maybe Michael Jordan never had, you know, that kind of stuff of, of being one of the greatest, you know, in our most popular, maybe the greatest in our most popular sport in this country, but wanting to bring people together. I mean, do you think that he potentially has that in him? And do you feel that that's a lot of weight to carry for, for a person? Um, could he do that? Could that be his future? Well, a lot to unpack there. So let, let me, let me start with the, uh, with the ending of the chapter and, and the ending. Yeah. The ending of the chapter. Um, the point about him being the best black quarterback already. I mean, when you, when you look at, all the boxes that you'd have to check to, to make a statement like that, you know, the, the, the African-American quarterbacks who have won Super Bowls are Doug Williams, Russell Wilson, and Patrick Mahomes. Neither Doug nor Russell have league MVP awards. Um, Pat, Doug did win the, the Super Bowl MVP award. And so has Patrick. Doug played at a different time, different rules in terms of what defenses can do. But Patrick's numbers dwarf Doug's, obviously, his just his stats. And, you know, as great as Russell is, I don't think you could make an, a credible argument that Russell is better than Mahomes, at least in terms of, you know, to this to this point in his career. So, you know, I, I felt that that was uh, I felt a very solid ground on that part of it. You know, the part about him being the potentially the greatest ever, look, uh, Brady is the most successful quarterback of all time. You talk to NFL people, you know, old timers, scouts, player personnel people, there has never been a greater quarterback prospect than John Elway, just from a purely talent standpoint. Um, so will Mahomes ever get to clear that bar? Uh, that, you know, that part, I don't know. That's why I said the qualifier may may not be needed, you know, at some point, but you know what, he may not get to that, but the part about him being a transcendent figure, I, I would argue he, and I, well, I did argue in the book that he's already there. You know, there were different times in the league where Dan Marino was the best quarterback for a window. Joe Montana was the best for a window. Um, Elway was the best for a window, but none of those players ever took on the issues that Patrick Mahomes did. You've never had a quarterback who's been at the, literally the top of the game, as he was for those two years, take on an issue and, and, and in such a, like a, a clear way about race. Okay. I mean, and, and, you know, none of those other guys I mentioned likely would because none of them had a black father. Okay. None of them. Identify. I mean, Mahomes will tell you, I am the product of a, I'm a black quarterback. I'm a product of a black father and a white mother. And but he identifies as being a black quarterback. And so he's a transcendent figure because when you are the number one quarterback in the NFL, when you are the guy at the position in all professional sports, your platform is probably bigger than anyone's except the president of the United States. Okay. You have, you have a megaphone that reaches across the country. And when he decided to, you know, it would have been very easy for him to not be involved in that video. And when you think about endorsement opportunities, like he plays in Kansas City, like, you know, there were people who were not happy that he did that. And, you know, he knew that. But 
because of who he is, because of, I mean, his, you know, his father, his father is black. And, you know, while he identifies with his mom's side as well, you know, he felt he could not be quiet about that issue. So he is a transcendent figure because we've never had the number one player in the NFL speak out on social issues like he did. Like n- n- all the top quarterbacks, you know, who were the who were the top quarterbacks for a stretch of time, it's not something they ever dealt with. And so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a huge thing on his shoulders. But he put it there. Now he could have said, you know, I mean, when when he was contacted about being in a video, we talked about this, you know, in, in my interview with him uh, when, when when we when we talked for the book, and you know, he knew like, look, this is going to be an issue for people. But he did what he felt he had to do when you know, around around voting um, back in 2020. You know, he partnered with the Chiefs to make Arrowhead Stadium a, a polling place and and to br- to bring in the machines at, a, at at a personal cost to him, I mean, money out of his own pocket. Um, we've just never seen that before with an NFL quarterback. And again, and not just an NFL quarterback, the NFL quarterback now. The last couple of seasons, he hasn't been the guy. Okay. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers has won the last two MVP awards, but Mahomes is right there. Okay. He's he, he's right there. So yeah, it, it is an enormous responsibility and it is a lot, but he took it on. And that's why, you know, I wrote about it. I'm curious. <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry about that. I'm curious. Um, oh, I forgot my train of thought, Carlos. That is not. Uh, <laughs> That, that that's typical. By the way, Jason, this happens every podcast. No, two the, or three the, times yeah, the, the, the train jumps the track. That's, that's typical okay. for me. No, no, no. no. Here's no. That's here's okay. something I wanted to ask you. I saw that in, in an interview that you thought that the, a lot of the bias, at least in terms of first round quarterbacks and and that sort of thing, star quarterbacks, is gone, largely gone. Maybe not completely gone, largely gone. But that there's still an issue, maybe with backups. And I, I, I wanted to hear a little bit more about why, if if what what you think and and why. Yeah, well, you know, uh, this is something I didn't get. A, I don't know if I got into this all in this book. Maybe it's a book, maybe something getting later in another book. But yeah, um, the backup quarterback, the backup quarterback, you know, is a guy on many teams. I mean, most most of the backup quarterbacks are white. And what people will tell you is that that is an area where there still is, uh, you know, maybe not overt bias but those guys you know the the superstar black quarterback is going to have a place in the nfl but the the mediocre to just to to maybe okay back quarterback but back black quarterback is he going to get a shot to be the the backup okay is he going to get a shot to hang around in that backup position and then one day become a quarterback coach and then become an offensive coordinator and then be in, in the pipeline to become a head coach. That's where there's still some some uh, question about you know black quarterbacks, and 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 the important thing about that is those guys often go on to become coaches. And so when we talk about the hiring situation in NFL, once we see black quarterbacks being backups, that I think will also lead to you know the NFL achieving more diversity within the coaching ranks. Makes a lot of sense. Carlos, do you have any more questions about the book before we 
move on to the Lions. No, but interesting you said that as a as growing up in LA, you know, as as you know, uh, maybe I don't think you were there at the time, maybe, but Vince Evans, one of the Raiders, you know, I don't know, backup quarterback for 30 years or something for for uh, for that team. Yeah, you don't see that enough. That's a really good point, Jason, that they're not given that that sort of uh, you know, that that opportunity, right? It's a whole different opportunity that it doesn't exist for them. So that's, that's your next book, right? That's the, yeah, so yeah. the one thing I want to ask Jason though, is when this gets turned into a movie opening scene, scribes FC somewhere in seal beach, uh, <laughs> just make sure Enrique Iglesias plays me. I, I don't know who's going to play you, uh, okay. who, who the young dashing man will play you, but yeah. and Bridges Meredith can play Sean. I think maybe if, if there's a part okay. later in the movie, that sounds like a plan. <laughs> Oh, that that's funny. Yeah, yeah. You, you, we missed that, Carlos, the last couple of weeks. That kind of uh, that kind of humor. <laughs> hey, so Jason, are you part of this uh, avalanche of national NFL writers that think the Lions are going to win the Super Bowl this year? Listen, you know, but correct me if I'm wrong. Three thirteen and one last year. Yes, um, yes. You Can know, you bring some perspective, please? Well, I mean, I mean, look, I you know, I'm always reluctant to tell you know, people who are in the cities covering the team, how things are, because, you know, having been in, in that position myself as a reporter, as a beat reporter, beat reporters no more than a national guy who drops in for one day to do some takeout and move along. Now, having said that, you know, 313-1 last year, I mean, from afar, it looked like Goff had a better season. A lot of people thought he would. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, um, you know. USC guy. Yeah, yeah, definitely USC guy. Um, I thought he would be a really good receiver in the NFL, and 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 I and I think I'm right about that. I see continued progress from him. You know, Campbell. Look, I got to be honest with you. That opening press conference when he was talking about eating the eating the leg or or not <laughs> eating the leg, fighting knee well, I do prefer. Yeah, no, dark, yeah, legs you are know, good though. Yeah, I thought to myself, yeah, okay. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bewildered um, by the fact that so many people off a of 313-1 season see so much progress. But, you know, look, I'm not around it every day, okay? And, and like, maybe, maybe it is trending upward. Um, you know, I know that the last time the team had a winning season, I believe, was 2017 um, under Caldwell. I believe it was, like, 9-7 that year. And then the last time they made the playoffs – was 2016 under Caldwell, uh, another nine and seven season. I mean, Patricia clearly did not work out. Campbell, the jury's still out, but I, like, you know, I remember Joe Gibbs when I started covering the Redskins was much kinder to me than he should have been. And I had a lot of long talks with him about the NFL and the way things work. And 313 and one is 313 and one. Like, like maybe, maybe it's on the upswing and, you know, maybe it's all going to work out. But the thing about the NFL is you, you don't know, you can bring back the same team and you think you have, you're, you're showing progress, but another year is it, it could all be different. It could be worse. It could be better. Um, but I am surprised that so many people are so optimistic off of three thirteen and one. I, 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 but you know what, maybe they have a right to be, I don't know. There are a lot of your national colleagues. I mean, I that's, know. Uh, that, that's what's crazy. The, the, I think the beat folks around here a little bit, you know, they think, okay, maybe they can get to five wins, six wins, seven wins. But 
you know, the kind of optimism we're hearing is mostly from outside of well, Michigan. Let's, let's, let's just be real here. Okay. This is, and Jason, thank you so much for some, you know, bringing some sanity to this conversation because it's people like you and your people and the national writers, the Peter Kings, the Albert Breers, the Mike Sandals, who are anybody national. Let's just be real. This is what happens in the business is these people need something to write about early in the season when nothing matters. So it's like, well, who can we write about now when nothing matters? The Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, although the Browns, whatever, the Houston Texans, let's give them their due in April, then May and June. But then when the things start mattering, when the season starts, then you forget all about the Lions because they're going to suck. They're not going to win a lot of games. So get them out of the way now. And that's, I think, when they get a little bit of outsized you know, attention. And Dan Campbell, as you know, gives you plenty to write about. He gives you some meat you know, on that stick and you can go after it. And boy, this is what else are you going to write about in April or or in July or June when nothing's going on, right? So this is perfect, um, you know. So thank you, thank you for bringing some sanity to the conversation because going from three three and a half wins one year, I mean, what's what's amazing? Eight wins would be amazing this year to get four or five more wins would be a nice progression. But around here, every year. Lions fans could be our year. Just, you know, Goff, Goff looked a little better toward the end of the year with Dan Campbell playing. You know, they, they hold on to any little wisp of hope. And I don't blame them because they haven't had a lot of hope. But um, thank you for a little bit of, you know, you'll, you'll get a lot of hate, by the way, when people hear this. Oh, my, Jason Reed doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen, listen, I want to be clear. I'm, I'm not saying that everybody's wrong. I'm just saying that personally for me, like I see 313 and one, you know, like, if if the thing is trending upward, okay, fine. But but you got to like all that matters is the wins. Like like I mean I mean it, it doesn't matter like you know if if some if if you got some if some receiver who's running great routes and you know he's open all the time. It doesn't matter you know if if you got some edge rusher who it you know had fifty five thousand pressures but only two sacks. But you know hey he's going to convert those sacks this year. It it very well may be trending upward. All I'm saying is, three thirteen and one is three thirteen and one, and at some point, like it, it's got to just be about what the what the the scoreboard is at the end. And we're coming to that point real quickly. Before we let you go, Jason, uh, can we put you on the spot? You want to give sure. us a guess? You want to give us on a guess on how many? Yeah, on W. Since it's all about the wins, as Carlos likes to say too. Okay, they they, they play seventeen games now. They were three thirteen and one last year. If everyone is right, if all the people who think that this team is moving in the right direction, um, going, getting eight wins would be a huge season. I mean, if, if you can, if you can improve, you know, by five wins um, with a second year head coach who just replaces offensive coordinator, um, I think that's very impressive. I mean, I think that that and then I would say, OK, well, yeah, maybe they are going in the right direction. So, you know, um, yeah, um, you know, because I, you know, I, let me just Anthony Lynn was fired. Right. If I recall correctly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I got so many different teams in my mind. But, yeah, no, it's I mean, all right. You know, look, they win eight games. Then, yeah, you know, give Dan give give, um, you know, give them all their flowers. If they win eight games, but that's a huge improvement from three thirteen and one. 
So, you know, we're, we're about to see what's going to happen, obviously. No, I, that, that would be a huge improvement. I personally think they're going to win 14, but um, we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll see. No, right. I don't. I'm kidding. I, I'm done. <laughs> I said that uh, I said that for Carlos's benefit. Well, listen, Jason, I know you got a full schedule here of uh, interviews to talk about this, uh, this book that's coming out. Again, it's the rise of the black quarterback, what it means for America. Uh, Jason Reed, um, thank you very, very much for giving us the time this afternoon and uh, giving us your thoughts on a really, really important book. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. We will be right back to ask Carlos where the hell he's been. Excuse me, heck. Sorry, Anjanette. Where the heck he has been the last couple of weeks, what's been going on, and uh, we'll wrap up with his favorite thing. We'll be right back with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Hello, I'm Phil Friend, the host and producer of Spartan Speak, a podcast collaboration between the Detroit Free Press and Lansing State Journal focusing on Michigan State sports. Each week, I'm joined by the OGs of the MSU podcasting game, free beat writer Chris Laurie and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch, as we discuss and dissect the latest sports news coming out of East Lansing. Not only is Spartan Speak one of, if not the longest-running MSU sports podcast out there, you won't find a show with two people as clued into the Spartans as Chris and Graham, each of whom have spent a decade-plus covering MSU and bring years of institutional knowledge and insight to the podcast. And once in a while, they'll let me throw out a take as well. Along with discussing the latest news, we'll break down the Spartans' last game in the hardwood and the gridiron. What went right? What went wrong? Jet sweep. Again? For both Mel Tucker and Tom Izzo, get you ready for the next game, make predictions, and so much more. We can also guarantee at least one reference to Kalamazoo every podcast. So if you haven't already, download, subscribe, and listen to Spartans Speak on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on your podcast app of choice. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, as I said at the top of the show, um, it's good to have you back. Uh, but where were you? I know you were on a, a vacation, a college tour. You went to Indiana. No, Indiana maybe, up north Michigan, somewhere. Yeah, it, it, it was all over the place, Sean. You know, some of us uh, some of us at the Free Press work a little harder than others. I'm not going to name names, but, you know, I work harder than you do, Sean. Um, so... That's why I did this podcast while I, I was off. Well, yeah, I know. I know the, yeah. the, the, you know, talking to a microphone for an hour. I don't recall you being there, so, but yeah. 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 yeah um, no, I, yeah. you know, you let Jeff Rieger basically do a show for us on the podcast. So that was, I know it was a lot of hard work. So I do appreciate it from, you know, Jeff Rieger at least. It was. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. We were, we were, it's been, um, it's been crazy going on college tours, taking a little bit of time off. Um, so I do apologize. Thank you so much for, for stepping in and, and doing the heavy lifting, Jeff Rieger. So um, that that was very generous of you. Um, but this is our favorite thing. So my favorite thing was um, our vacation took us to Mackinac Island, the jewel of Michigan um, that I believe Andrew Hammond has not yet visited, but uh, it has to be on his list. It's it's just an amazing, magical place. Uh, best fudge on the planet. Um, no cars on the island. So, you know, um, don't, don't, uh, Scott, uh, or Sean, you're kind of a Luddite. So, so you don't Not like really. technology. I know that. So that's, that should be right up your alley, but, uh, it's a very quaint place. If you haven't been there, if you're a Michigan or you've probably been there, but we used to go all the time. This is our first time back since the pandemic, since whatever it was three years ago. And one of our favorite things that we do on the island is we people watch. And there's a landing there where a dock where the boats come in, the ferries come in from St. Ignace or Mackinac City, and people get off and we're able to watch them. And so my favorite thing about that, specifically in the people watching, is there's a, a man and his name is Moschel. 
and he's one of the workers on the dock. And he is responsible for driving a little vehicle. It's to get the luggage racks. And it's one of the few, you know, powered vehicles on the island that they allow. But there's just a crush of people coming off a ferry. Nobody knows where they're going. So he's got a tricky job of going to get the laundry, the, the big luggage carts, the big steel ones that look like they're at the airport, you know, and navigating all these pedestrians who are looking around, not paying attention. And so what he does is instead of like telling them to get out of the way or honking the horn, <laughs> Mochelle makes a sound with his, with his own voice. And he goes, he makes a sound of the beeping, you know, if a truck's backing up or something, he goes beep, beep beep and the interesting thing about it is that it's part of I, i've watched him a lot i kind of was obsessed with this guy and he takes such pleasure in his job he he just seems happy whenever you see other workers come up to him other you know co-workers everybody seems happy when they approach Michelle. and i thought you know it doesn't matter what job you have you should be able to take pleasure in your work and, and at least take a little pleasure in work every day, something you do. And I know, Sean, this is difficult for you. This is extremely painful to have to talk to me and put up with me for this hour, but I really appreciate it. And I really am going to try to, in my life now, every day, I'm going to try to be like Michelle and take a little, find a little pleasure in my job, be agreeable, make everybody's day a little bit better with my outlook. So um, cheers to Michelle. And I'm really happy to be back with you guys. So I've, I've really missed it. I've really missed Anjanette and saying Anjanette's name, by the way, which we're totally remiss. I, I totally apologize to Ms. Delgado for that, but uh, we'll make sure to make it for next week. My question is, what was in the fudge? You know, it's it had, this, this it had an earthy smell and I felt a little like woozy and relaxed after. So I don't know what was in okay. it. So maybe some okay. pecans or something. I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, I ate it around four twenty every afternoon, but I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't recognize this. Oh, so the early bird <laughs> special. Yeah, yeah, Mac Andrew, you don't need to go to Mackinac. It's like going. To no, Florida it's not. Like, no, it's cooler. not. You take that back, Andrew. Okay, uh, now well, Andrew uh, has to go. Actually, South Florida is great. So no, you're right. <laughs> Mackinac is nothing like that, but uh, it's not like Miami. But uh, yeah, no, I don't know. It's like Tallahassee. It, oh yeah, Mackinac Island is Tallahassee. Without the Spanish, without the without the Spanish. It's like moss. Naples. No, Maybe it's, it's like I, Naples I don't know. Mac a little bit. Yes, it's it's, <laughs> it's its own thing. My favorite thing, uh, Carlos, is it? No, 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 no. It's it. To, no, don't give me that. No, that no, that is it. That is it. That is it. It's it. You're back. It's uh, you you take for granted. I think you know when things are going uh a certain way you know you get used to rhythms and and all that sort of thing and um you know the first week was was fine i think we had uh a rower from michigan state university kalina she she's she sat in and she was great and that was great but um but by the second week you know it just wasn't the same and uh, andrew told me and i'm gonna say something because he told me this we weren't recording at the time so i hope he doesn't mind but that's just how it's gonna have to be after we were done recording, after Jeff left, uh, Jeff Rieger last week, he said, you know, that, that was great, but you guys agreed on too much. And, uh, and you, you and Carl, you know, I miss, he missed us gigging each other and going at each other a little bit, having some fun that way. So while it was fine and Jeff did a great job, we were grateful he was on and he laid out, you know, good arguments for baseball and all that, that the, the, the chemistry, you know, it's not, not quite the same. And I felt the absence of that. So I'm glad you're back. So yeah, that's my favorite thing is that you're back. 
There you go. Thank you. And I, 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 I totally agree with Andrew that you and Jeff agreed with each other too much, but I understand why you agreed with each other because Kalina just buried you in the arguments about the big 10 and the pac 12 or whatever. Yeah, I took it. I, about, took, I took it easy on her. Oh, she took you to the, no, woodshed, I man. did. I it did. was so, I didn't have like, the, I didn't, I didn't have the college? heart to say, I mean, of course they're not going to, they, they don't need to be playing USC and UCLA and Rowan. Right. I mean, <laughs> they just don't, it's just, that's just the way it is. But you know, uh, you know, she's young and and uh, yeah, you and, and, we, and we and we wanted to hear her perspective, but uh, and we did, and she was great. But uh, she was great. Thank yeah. you for to Kalina for 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 helping out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Well, listen, Carlos. Again, it's good to have you back. I'm glad you had a great trip. I'm glad you got some fudge. I'm glad you walked around on an island with no cars. Saw that. Saw the light about trying to be. Um, I don't know. More, more what appreciative of life. Yes. Uh, oh, that's great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> so you, you think about that for next week and uh, who knows, uh, you're going to write that everybody's great and nobody ever needs to get fired and all that. Right. The Lions are going to win 14 games. Well, I got to go to training camp this week, so I don't know if I'm going to have the same. Outcome. Yeah, it does start soon. That does start soon. We'll probably be talking more lines next week with maybe we can get uh, somebody that knows what they're actually talking about with the Lions on next week. Not and not, the, not the two of us. As long as it's not Burkett, yes. Okay. Anybody but Burkett? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, everybody but him. All right. All right. Well, like I said, my man, good to have you back. Let's uh, let's do the thinking here. Is that all right? Yes, let's do all it. Right, let's you know you you know who you have to mention. Yeah, we do. We start we're gonna start with Andrew Hammond, who's the producer of this show. Um, we wanna thank him for sure, even though he has his baseball cap on backwards. Um, that's okay. We'll, we'll make an exception, like Stafford used to do, right? <laughs> Until I shamed him into turning it around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you and me, and a bunch of other people. No, it was me. No, but take credit for you. It was me and Dicka. It's really good to have you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good pairing. I'm, I'm glad you. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. You should be proud of that one. That's when he started hating me. Yeah, that's a good one. In any case, yeah, we want to thank Andrew. We want to thank Anjanette Delgado, the co-executive producer of this podcast, along with Kirk and Crawford, also the co-executive producer of the sports editor of the Free Press, and, of course, Peter Batia, the editor of the Free Press. Carlos, uh, our listeners, what do they need to do? They need to rate. They need to rate. They need to subscribe wherever they find their podcasts. Apple, Spotify, they need to tell us what they think. Absolutely. You know yes, what I mean? please, please so listen. Please rate us. Okay, yeah, yeah. Please rate us and tell us how bad we are. Well, me, Carlos is great. I think that I think that I think that's the way it. Uh, that's the way it ought to be. Anyway, thank you for uh, listening. That's our show for today. We will be back with y'all next week. You know, baby, it's all right.